0: I'm gonna, if you have a Bible open to 2 Timothy, we're just going to read through, I'm going to read through 2 Timothy, because it's an amazing book, and, and to hear it, if you've never been at a reading service, uh, you might be thinking, well, why, why do you do this? I could do this on my own, chances are you don't, so that's why we do it, right? I mean, people always say, why do you just read the book? We can do it on our own, and I always ask, well, how often do you read an entire book in one sitting? Well, not much, Jude, maybe, you know what I mean, so... So we're going to do that together. Now, kids, if you're here, this is what I want you to do. I want you to draw a picture. Um, I want you to draw a picture of your mom and your grandmom. And what I want you to do is before you do that, on the very front end of my reading, I want you to listen for how important a mom and grandma were to the life of this pastor, Timothy. Okay, so, so listen first for the names. And I want you to even see if you can write the names of this special mother and grandmother. But that's what I want you to do. Draw that picture and then send it to Hannah to get to win a special treat. Are we still giving out the, the special treat, Hannah? We are, aren't we? Yes, I heard yes. Is it still the good stuff? Oh, yeah, okay, yes. All right, right. Second Timothy. Here we go. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purposes and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me, and he was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly, and he found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus chapter 2. You then, my child, Timothy, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also share in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is a hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is never bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This saying is trustworthy. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words which does no good but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus. Who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened? They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal: the Lord knows those who are His. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now, in a great house, Timothy, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. But kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness that God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins, and led astray by, ver- led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they won't get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however... While evil people and impostors go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, all scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As, far as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but all to all who love his appearing. Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he's very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I've sent to Ephesus when you come bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas also the books and above all bring the parchments Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm the Lord will repay him according to his deeds beware of him yourself for he strongly opposed our message at my first defense no one came to stand by me but all deserted me may it not be charged against them but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me So that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth and I left Trophimus who was ill at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends his greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Wow, we could almost just end right there, right? It's powerful. Let me ask you a question as we have concluded reading 2 Timothy. Would you consider Paul a success? If you don't know much about Paul, Paul had a prestigious background. He was a brilliant scholar. He spoke three languages. He traveled the then known world. He was a prominent leader in what we might call the fastest growing first multinational organization that ever existed. He was an internationally recognized author and speaker and without doubt is one of the most famous people in history any of us would kill to have that kind of a resume or cv so would you consider that paul was a success yeah some of you someone said yes and and, and most of you want to say yes but if you're honest you kind of go i don't know because you know just shortly after paul wrote second timothy the last letter he ever wrote of the new testament the roman government removed his head from his shoulders Paul spent much of his life hunted by his own countrymen, imprisoned, and finally executed. Even now, as he writes 2 Timothy, he's been abandoned by his colleagues, sitting in a Roman jail cell waiting to be executed. His entire life given to the cause of the gospel. He gave up everything he had for the gospel message. And what does he have to show for it in his old age? As he's looking towards what many of us would consider retirement, what does he have to show other than an executioner's block. So is Paul a success? Yeah, yeah, kind of a success. Yeah, absolutely, in the, in the kind of Gandhi, Martin Luther King, William Wallace, Jim Elliott way. Yeah, he's a success, but, but we all kind of pause because, oh, no, he's not like a Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk or Warren Buffett success, so I don't know how to quite answer that question. When you read Paul, as we just read him, did you get any sense that here was a man despairing of his life? Did you get any sense that he regretted some of life's choices? Did, did you get any sense that he wanted a do-over? No. Not, not, as a matter of fact, it was the opposite. At the very end of the book, he says, I have fought the fight. I finish the race. I have kept the faith and now there is waiting for me a crown of righteousness that the lord the righteous judge will give to me and not just to me to all those who loved his appearing what confidence what assurance very unlike some of the people our society instantaneously call a success At the end of his nearly 600-page biography of Steve Jobs, Walter Isaacson, uh, records a conversation that Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple, had with him just a few days before he died of cancer. This is what Steve Jobs has said. I'm about uh, 50-50 on believing in God. For most of my life, I, I felt there must be more to our existence than meets the eye. Jobs admitted that he might be overestimating his odds because he really wants to believe in an afterlife. He goes on to quote Jobs It's strange to think you accumulate all this experience and maybe a little wisdom and it just goes away. So I really want to believe that something survives. Isaacson says Jobs fell silent for a long period. On the other hand, perhaps it's like an on off switch click and you're gone. Jobs paused again. Maybe that's why I never like to put on-off switches on my Apple devices. It's hard to deny by certain standards that Steve Jobs was a success. Was I mean, he built Apple. How many of you have one of his products in your pocket or purse right now? But in the final analysis, was he successful? Who sounds more successful as they face the ultimate human trial? Paul the Apostle to the Gentiles? Or Steve Jobs, the creator of the iPhone, who sounds like they saw life's priorities correctly. I've entitled our sermon series in 2 Timothy, Upside Down, Success, Service, and Suffering, because I think we have some things upside down. And I think it's not just us. I think Timothy had some things upside down. I certainly think our understanding of success is upside down. Our understanding of service and suffering is upside down. And by studying 2 Timothy, my hope is that we get some things right side up. As I said, and and if you could hear it again, if you go home and read Timothy, as I said, it took us 10 minutes to read it, you'll realize that, that Timothy himself was... Not too far from struggling with another view of what success and service and suffering might be. I think that's why Paul says the key point in this, if you're one of those persons, you want to know what is the verse that's the key of the book. I really believe it's 2 Timothy chapter 1 verses 13 and 14 when Paul says, follow the pattern of sound words that you heard from me in the faith and love that is in Christ By the Holy Spirit who dwells within you, guard the good deposit. You see, I think misunderstanding a a, a gospel-centered life, I think misunderstanding what a gospel-centered church, I think those temptations were there just as much in Timothy's time as they are in our time to change our definitions of success to fit more what we want them to be than more than what they really are. You know, if you read your New Testament carefully, before the end of the apostolic age, which basically the time period when the New Testament letters were written, before the end of the apostolic age, even then, there were Christians, people calling themselves Christians, who were putting their own spin on what it meant to be a Christian and what it meant to be a church. You heard Paul talk about that. And they were infiltrating the church at Ephesus and upsetting the faith of many. So Paul, as he's facing that the day that he has to die very soon, he wants to write to this pastor and encourage him to be a faithful gospel worker, to build a faithful gospel-centered church. So what we have in 2 Timothy, what this letter is, in a sense, is the seasoned apostle writing to a pastor about how to live his life and how to lead a church. So these words certainly have a direct bearing on the pastoral staff at this church, but you might be tempted to think, well then, why, why do the rest of us have to know about it? Because there is some application to you as well. Second Timothy applies to any of you if you have any kind of gospel influence or gospel teaching influence in your life or a ministry of some sort. 2 Timothy will help you understand the kind of man or the kind of men who should be leading churches. And that's really important because the kind of men who lead churches shape the kind of churches you will have. What kind of church do you want for your kids? What kind of church do you want for your family? What kind of church do you want for yourself? Do you want a church that's defined by what the Bible says is success or but what the world says is success? They are not always the same. Furthermore, many of you will transfer, get a job, move out of state. We've had that happen with four or five families since the pandemic began. You will have to find a new church. Do you know what it is that you are going to look for in that church or in that pastor? 2 Timothy will help you figure it out. I can't tell you, just about every week, I ask the same question. I ask people what they're looking for in a church, and typically what I hear isn't much more different than what you'd look for in a gym. I say, hey, what are you looking for in a church? Oh, we're looking for friendly people, good music, great programs, and a nice facility. (laughs) Well, that's LA Fitness. So let me ask you again, what are you looking for in a church? Friends, if, if your criteria to find a church is not much different than the criteria you use to find a gym, something's wrong right? Second Timothy will help you understand what you should be looking for. Another reason this is an important book, one day you may be in charge of finding a pastor or an elder for this church or a pastor or an elder for another church. If you don't choose correctly, you could be subjecting yourself and your church to years of misery. If you do right, you could have God's blessing upon you. Second Timothy will help you figure that out, I'll never forget when I was candidating to be the pastor here a little over five years ago. We were at Don and Kathy's house for one of these socials, and everyone's trying to be really gracious and kind to this young younger guy considering to be the pastor here. And so they were being generous with me, throwing some softballs, and everyone likes a softball at a job interview. And then is is Lynn Purrington here? she here. Good, she's not okay. So as we're sitting there, everyone's being nice, giving me some good, easy ones to hit it, you know, get on second base or whatever. But not Lynn. She like winds up and boom, hundred miles right into the strike zone, and and the tone that changed the whole dynamic. She says, "Well, this is all well and nice, but we don't know what you believe about Jesus, his person, his work, or the gospel. Can you get into that some?" I thought this is good. That's the right kind of question. So these are reasons we need to know about 2 Timothy. Furthermore, as we just read, as you heard, there are a lot of people involved in gospel work, not just the pastors or elders in a church. And those people make or can break what is happening. Did you hear all of these faithful workers that were co-laboring with Paul and Timothy, Onesiphorus, Luke, Eubulus, Pudens, Linus, Claudia? And then did you also hear that there were people that were part of the work, but they were faithless? They had abandoned the gospel. Phyge- Phyge- Hermogenes, Hymenaeus, Philetus, Demas, Titus, we all have our part to play in whether or not a church stays gospel centered or not. And it won't happen abruptly, it happens in degrees. And so 2 Timothy is really important to know what is a gospel worker and what is a gospel church. Two points I'm going to make briefly. Um, So we're going to now look at verses 1 through 7. We're just going to make two quick points, and that is this. God's faithfulness in the past to ensure gospel work is the basis. That's point one. The second point is God's faithfulness is in the past is the basis for our faithfulness in the present to ensure gospel work. So here, let me back that up again. We're going to see in those seven verses. God's faithfulness in the past to ensure gospel work continues is the basis for our faithfulness in the present to make sure that gospel work continues so open it up, if you're not, uh, sorry, I close it, so you're probably still up in the second Timothy. We're just going to look at those first few verses where t- Paul is writing to his young protege. And did you notice right out of the bat that Timothy has two distinct advantages? Timothy has two distinct advantages. Number one, he had the advantage of a believing household. His mother and his grandmother poured into young Timothy. We see that in verse 5. Not only did Timothy had the advantage of a godly mother and a godly grandmother, Timothy had the advantage of a godly mentor and Paul himself. We see that in verse 6. So Timothy, as a gospel worker, was truly blessed. From chapter 3, verse 15, we learn that from his childhood, imagine it was probably Lois or Eunice. We don't know about Timothy's dad. We know in chapter 16 of Acts that, uh, that he was a Greek, but that's it. He's not anywhere else in the record. So we can only assume when Paul's talking about Timothy from childhood knowing the sacred writings that it was Eunice or Lois, mom and grandma teaching their young son the Word of God. You see, the Ephesian church, the church that that Timothy uh, was now the pastor of, owed a a debt of gratitude to Eunice and Lois. And friends, i got to be honest, I wonder... What church at what time will owe a debt of gratitude to some of the women who are in our church because they are faithfully, sacrificially, consistently teaching the Word of God to their young boys? You see, the Ephesian church didn't even realize God's faithfulness to them, didn't even know what form it would take, didn't even realize that they needed it, but God was already blessing them through His faithfulness, working through Lois and Eunice, pouring out to young Timothy, who they didn't know one day would meet the Apostle Paul, who they didn't know would one day become the the pastor of the church of Ephesus, one of the most powerful cities in antiquity, one of the most powerful churches in the New Testament what a debt of gratitude those people owe to two women they probably never met or knew anything about until this letter came out. Friends, what church, what congregation will one day owe a debt of gratitude to what women, what mom, what grandmother here because of your sacrificial efforts to teach consistently God's word to your young men and your young ladies as well? But as we're talking about a a man who will pastor a church, what a debt of gratitude that we all have God's faithfulness is shown to them in ways they didn't realize. But you don't need to have a faithful gospel heritage to be a faithful gospel worker. Not all of us are going to have faithful families who encourage us in the gospel, who shared Christ with us. Not all of us are going to have that advantage of a mother or grandmother. Some of you have maybe the exact opposite. But you know what? That's okay because whether or not you had a faithful gospel heritage you have the same elements that God has given to Timothy that he gives to you, we see in verse two, grace, mercy, and peace. So if you don't have a faithful gospel heritage, that doesn't mean you can't be an effective gospel worker because what's available to you is the same grace, mercy, and peace that God gave to Timothy. And then you come down to it, You can do okay if you don't have a faithful gospel heritage, but you will not do okay if you don't have God's grace, mercy, and peace. It doesn't work the other way. But what we see is God's faithfulness being shown this way. And God's faithfulness is not merely shown toward individuals. God's faithfulness is seen in churches as well and through churches to their communities. If you look in the parking lot, um, this, this is our 50th anniversary of God's faithfulness to this congregation. But that faithfulness is not simply to us. Friends, do you realize that God's faithfulness to us is also an example of God's faithfulness to this city as well through us? And I know, friends, the gospel work that goes out through this church, the, the discipling and caring for prisoners, some of you serving as a court-appointed special advocates in our foster care system for kids who really need someone to stand up for them. Those of you who are ministering and and have a heart for the homeless in in our communities, the ministry of our preschool to so many families, not to mention the missionaries that come from our congregation that go out with the gospel and the work that expands through them, like the patents who are still with us. The discipling of neighbors and friends, the teaching of God's truth in so many different contexts. So Paul reminds Timothy of God's faithfulness in the past. And did you notice, by the way, how often Paul says, remember. Just look at verses 3 through 6. How often Paul tells Timothy, I remember, I remember, I'm reminded. And now on the basis of all that, Timothy, I remind you. Look at verse 6 there i got to find verse 6 in my Bible. For this reason, okay, so what do we have before that? I remember, I remember, I'm reminded, and for this reason, I remind you. Paul is saying on the basis of God's faithfulness in the past, I want to remind you to be faithful in the present. And friends, by the way, write this down. This is really important. This is indicative of how God works, how, how we relate with Him by looking at what God has already done to understand what we should do in response. This is a really indic- this is a pattern we see all through scripture. Paul says, I'm remembering, I'm remembering what God does. Rem- I'm reminded of all of his faithfulness, and because of that, I want to remind you of this. Friends, let me put it this way: if you are a Christian, there is nothing you could ask of God now that could be ever more important more significant, more more, um, rock-your-world-life-transforming than what God has already done. So often we're praying for God to work, we're praying for God to move, but I'm, what I'm trying to make the case, and we see this here, is regard, there's nothing you could ask for now that's more significant than what God has already done for you. Now, that doesn't mean what you ask or need is unimportant uh, or insignificant to Him, But what it does mean is that what you need now, and I know some of you have some real needs to see the power of God in your life, what you need now finds its engine, finds its source in what He has already done. And that may have been abstract, so let me make it crystal clear. We are often asking God to intervene, to do something now. I need to see you in the area of my finances, in the area of my relationships. I need to see your power somehow now. And what I'm saying as Paul is reminding Timothy, the power that we're asking for now has already been given to us in what he's already done. And I want to read some scriptures from Ephesians to show you that point. So keep your finger in 2 Timothy. Go to the left about several pages to Ephesians. And let me just read some choice passages. By the way, this is the letter to which church? This church, right? So Paul is is coming at it in so many ways. Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual Blessing. You've been given every spiritual blessing. When you see, hear spiritual, don't think Casper the friendly ghost, don't think spiritual is like, oh, that's nice. When I die, I'll get that. No, in the New Testament, spiritual is always a, a, a simile for real, for eternal, for the actual substance. It, it's not the abstract, the ethereal that you'll get when you die. Whenever Paul's talking about the spiritual, he's talking about the reality. Everything we've been given, we have every spiritual blessing now. Skip down to verse 7. In Christ, in Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Skip down to verse 13. In Him, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it through the praise of his glory. And lastly, look at verse 18, Paul says this, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and look at verse 19, and what is the immeasurable greatness? of his power toward us, towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. Guys, just, you gotta, if, if that just doesn't blow your mind, you're not paying attention. We are so often saying, God, I need you to work. There's got these problems. I need you to do something. Why can't God do this, that? And he's like, what are you talking about? I've already done what you need. The problem is, do you believe it? And are you pressing in to obtain it and have it work in your life? And that leads us to our second point and last point today. Look at verse 6 again. So Paul says, for this reason, the, the faithfulness of God and what he's done, Timothy, fan into flame the gift that was put into you. Notice the constant paradox of the Christian life. On the one hand, God's doing everything. On the other hand, he says, hey, step up. God gave you a gift. But you need to fan it into flame, friends. God did things in the past, but you need to fan that into flame. You don't need to ask God to give you more now. He's already given you everything you need. Are you fanning it into flame? Paul's saying, Timothy, there's a light. By God's grace, there's a little flicker there. Put some fuel on that thing. Make it fiery. And in context, uh, Paul's talking, obviously, of Timothy's ministry of the word. Friends, that's the ministry I have, the ministry of the word. But any gospel ministry, whatever it is, how God's equipped you, requires two things. God's gifting and you working hard. There's no way around it. Did you notice how many times Paul's talking about suffering? Do you notice the metaphors he uses in chapter 2? Soldiers, athletes, farmers. You ever met truly a lazy soldier, athlete, or farmer? No. right? What's Paul saying? You've been given a gift but you got to work hard at it. Effective gospel ministry and effective gospel life is always a combination of both. God's gifting and you working hard. God has given, if you're a Christian, we studied this, remember we talked about Pentecost, God's given every one of you a gift. But if you don't develop it, you don't refine it, you don't exercise it, you don't use it, it will be a useless gift. Likewise, if you try to use your gift detached from God, you'll have very little spiritual impact, very little eternal uh, fruit from that. And it's a temptation, right? It's a temptation to, to lean on one or the other, to the neglect of the other. Paul says you got to have both. Friends, let me ask you, if you're a Christian, do you know what your gift is? Remember a couple weeks that we talked about three key ways to figure it out, right? Needs, fruit, others, If you don't know what your gift is, the first thing you do is just find a need and fill a need, right? Secondly, look for the fruit. Are people being blessed? Are people being encouraged? Are you being encouraged? Are you finding great joy, even if it's inconvenient? Do you sense that this is what you should be doing? Are others confirming or denying that in your life? I told you about how people denied my gift to work with kids, and the only way they knew that was by me working with kids, right? Although I still think I did a pretty good job, but you know, Lori knew, she just loved me and let other people tell me you shouldn't work with kids, so hey, but it worked, that's how God works. Fan into flame the gift that God has given you. Friends, are there ways that God has gifted you and you are dangerously close to snuffing it out for whatever, maybe it's outright sin, maybe it's just neglect. You know, if you're part of this church and that describes you, that's to our detriment. That's to our um, loss, right? What are some ways that you can fan that flame into a bonfire? However little the gift might be, not all of us are gifted the same, but everyone has a gift. Fan that gift to flame. I was talking to a good friend of mine who's a pastor in Ohio, and we were all, uh, he was actually a kid in my youth group when I was a youth pastor at 19, and and of that youth group, three of us are now senior pastors. And Steve and I talked, and we had a good laugh. We says, man, God must be desperate if we three are now leading his church. And, and that's just, I mean, we were self-deprecating that way, but we knew a lot more gifted people, a lot better at this kind of thing. But yet, God chose to use us three. Whatever your gift is, however small it might be, fan it into flame and see what God will do. Now, look at verse 7. Verse um, the, the language here, really, I want the language to interpret our theology here. So, Paul says, I remember all these things, so I remind you to famine the flame, the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And verse 7, the reason we can do this, the reason we can have confidence, Paul says, is because, or in your translation might say for, it's the, the Greek word that can be translated either way, because or for, it's explaining what came before. Because God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power. In other words, you need to develop this gift that God has given you because in your use of it, it will not be in vain. It will bear fruit. After all, it is God himself who's empowering you and His empowering you not to be afraid. It's the opposite. It's to give you power. So step out and do that thing that you think maybe God wants you to do and don't be afraid of it. Just go for it, we would say. This is what God has called you to do. So go out and do it. So let's back up a second. This idea of success, it isn't about an easy, posh life, and even Timothy, and we'll see this as we study, it was tempted to follow other patterns of ministry, and Paul's saying don't go that way. As a matter of fact, the idea of success in the gospel will include service and suffering. I mean, you just look at verse 8, the, the, the very first, after he tells him to use his gifts, therefore don't be ashamed of me, but share in suffering. But Paul says, but God has not given you a spirit of fear, so don't worry about it. Don't sweat it. Rather, he's given you power to endure and thrive. That Greek word dunamis, we get the word dynamic from, we get the word dynamite. God has given you this power. You can do this. And he's given you love to be gracious and kind to this. And he's given you self-control. And man, how important that is in a culture where everyone's lost control. You have that in Christ, Paul says, don't be afraid, step out. Do it. And as I said, the conclusion, we won't get into it. I'll leave this for next week where Paul says, you know, all this, therefore, don't be ashamed of the gospel. In fact, share in suffering for it, but not by your own willpower. Guys, don't hear me say, all right, we got to be Christians and that means we got to suffer, so I'm going to do that. It's Wrong mentality. Notice verse 8. Again, the, the, these, the language is so important. Therefore, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner but share in suffering for the gospel. How do we do that, Paul? Look at the prepositional phrase that follows, by the power of God, not your own moral, not your own moral resolution, not your just, that's what I'm going to do. You do this by the power of God, and, 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 and we'll leave that to, to be get unpacked next week. Friends, I grant the message of 2 Timothy is a hard sell, right? We want success to mean comfort and ease, abundance, health, and prosperity, not a jail cell, certainly not a death sentence. We want service to be convenient. We want it to be reasonable, to fit into our schedules. And suffering, well, that should be a last resort, or maybe for Christians in, in third world countries, not a defining feature of what it means to be a Christian. That's a tough sell. And that's, because, that's because we've got it upside down. Jesus never, never tried to soft sell it. He never pulled a bait and switch, and we'll conclude with his words in Matthew 16 when he said, if anyone comes after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life is going to lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Paul understood that, and he understood that we, like Timothy and these early Christians, would be tempted to redefine success and service and suffering. He knows we've got it upside down. And so by writing 2 Timothy, he wants to make sure we get it right side up. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy and peace that is available to all of us here. Father, we thank you for a great gospel heritage that is true of many of us here. Father, we thank you that by your grace, by your mercy and peace, you are doing a fantastic work in the life of this church corporately, but because you're doing a work in the lives of these Christians individually. Father, I pray that if there are people just visiting with us and they have no idea what the gospel is or what we're talking about, that that you would make them curious, that they want to know what is this this gospel message that can, if this is true, make someone facing death more and more confident and even see it as a ticket to life. Father, because we look in our world and all we see is chaos and and disorder and people are out of control. But you promise not a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of self-control. Lord, we pray that that would be a reality of us individually and corporately in Jesus' name. Amen.